In Ithaca last weekend, life was good. Big win on the mat. Last elbow from Cardenas. The lift. The finish. Big three-point takedown. And a big win on the court. Xavier New, pass picked off. Who else but Chris Mannon all the way and the flush. Plus, a bunch of Bulldogs stay perfect too. Mahoney, heat check. He's still scorching. And with Ivy League fencing round robins on the horizon, we check in with a national champ who's got her sights set on another title and an eye on Paris. Even watching my teammates, I think they would definitely describe me as like one of the more chiller people or calmer people. I would just say that I'm not really stressed by stressful situations. I'm Brian Seltzer, and this is Ivy Insights from the Ivy League, with new episodes dropping every two weeks. Season 1, Episode 10. Calm and Collected. What's up out there? Well, things certainly are starting to pick up a bit around the league in the winter sports, right? Some big results coming in this past weekend. We'll have updates on hoops, wrestling, and tennis to come in a bit. But first, we're going to start with Lauren Scruggs. Lauren is a Harvard junior, just turned 21 years old the other week. She is an incredible fencer. Her resume is littered with ridiculous, heady accomplishments. She's currently 13th in the world in foil. She's medaled in international competitions, was the youngest American to ever win at Junior Worlds, won an NCAA title last year, all in a sport where access for people like her, people of color, is really hard. She's one of just two African Americans to win an individual world title. Lawrence got the heart of the Crimson schedule coming up and a bid to the Olympics in play as well, but our conversation started where all good fencing conversations typically do, with sweets. The chat then shifts to some pretty deep themes that revealed a really remarkable perspective for a person so young, but also so successful. Lauren, I've got to lead with this question. I've read that you do not like chocolate. Is that a true fact? Yeah. What's the deal with that? Where'd you hear that from? Uh, lo and behold, I found it on the USA Fencing website. Yeah, I don't really like chocolate. I'm not like not a big sweets person in general. Um, so yeah, chocolate is not, I don't really like chocolate at all. At what age did you discover this dislike? Was it something early on where you're just like, you know what? Nah, not for me. Yeah, it just like, it didn't taste good to me. So. Wow. Wow, what's what's the if you do indulge, what's the treat or indulgence of choice then if not something that's chocolate? I would say I like bubble tea a lot. Okay. Um, I, I like ice cream. I like vanilla. Um, yeah, but I generally just I'm not a big sweet person. Like if I can only have maybe like a scoop of ice cream and then I'm like overwhelmed by the sugar. So yeah, there you go. And honestly. If we're speaking frankly, it's probably in your position, given what you do, it's probably for the better that sweets aren't a dominant thing, right? Yeah, it helps me out a lot. So catch us up to speed. What's the season been like so far for Harvard? Yeah, so the women's team has had a pretty good um, start considering, you know, we're down a person. So we actually don't have a full team. Um, I think Harvard is probably one of the smaller teams within the NCAA. So I think for kind of our size, we've had a really good season. Um, we just came back. We just had a meet this weekend with NYU and Duke, and we won both of those. 
Um, and they're pretty, you know, decently strong schools. So things have been great. Um, and then from a personal career, um, we had one senior world cup and there I got my first top eight, um, on the senior level. So that was a big deal for me. Uh, and that's kind of, that kind of put me in like the top 16 spot in the world. So that was a big deal. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty good so far. Um, but I have a lot more tournaments to go. So. You obviously had a big moment for yourself as a sophomore last year, NCAA championship. How did that affect your work going into this year as a junior? Yeah, I mean, I would say that the the way the NCAA championships are structured, it's like a, it's a really hard tournament. I would say it's probably like the hardest tournament I've been to, um, aside from regionals, because um, it's all five touch bouts until you get to the very end. So just like being able to go through those two days of fencing um, and push myself. Cause going into the second day, I honestly was ranked not where I wanted to. So I really had to grind that second day to make it to the final four. Um, <clears throat> I think it just really gave me that experience um, to kind of push through tough times. And so I think that really translates to like the international fencing world where it's like every touch matters, every bout matters. Um, Cause you're fencing with, you know, the best people in the world. So it's it's helped a lot. I'd have to believe that given fencing has the individual component, also having the team aspect is kind of cool too. Yeah, so I'm definitely someone who I like to kind of rely on myself. Like I like that with fencing, like if I lose it's because I lost, not necessarily that, let's say like, for example, basketball, you'd be the best point guard in the world, but um, you know, if your teammates maybe are not up to par, it's kind of difficult, you know, to, you know, win those games versus fencing. I have like all the control in my, my hands, right. If I win the bout, like I'm winning the bout, um, obviously like my teammates have to win their bouts one up, but I know that I can control my little portion of like winning those three bouts every match, um, which I really like, um, because I think let's say something does go wrong. Like I can, I can only blame myself, um, and I, I don't know, I personally like that aspect. Um, I like, I think I'm pretty hard on myself, um, but I also like the control that it gives me over kind of my performance. You seem like someone who's very matter of fact about the things that you accomplish. Did you feel a certain way after winning the NCAA championship? Uh, yeah. So actually after like my first NCAA, I, I was like, I'm never going to win this. Like the format is just super, super difficult. Um, so I was like, yeah, I doubt I'll probably win an NCAA championship. So when I like won, I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Um, definitely blew my expectations out the water. Um, but yeah, I was, I think I was just kind of shocked to be honest. I did not think I was going to win an NCAA championship. So yeah, honestly, I was just shocked. I would say. What made the difference then in terms of how you trained or mindset from that first year as a freshman to last year as a sophomore? Um, I think one experience, just like getting used to the format of NCAA fencing. Um, but also I think my team is a big uh, difference. Just like I think I do really well when I have like a lot of, you know, cheering behind me and they definitely know how to cheer. So I guess like on the day of the tournament, it just everything just clicked. You know, my teammates were cheering for me. I was feeling hyped. Um, so, yeah, I think I was able just to push through and, and win those bouts. 
Do you feel pressure? I mean, listen, it's an individual sport. You're obviously highly ranked. You won a championship. And it's not like you just burst onto the scene at Harvard. You've been at this for quite some time and had a lot of success. How do you manage that? How do you deal with that weight? I'd, I'd say I'm someone who's just not really affected by stress. Um, pretty calm, collected as a person. Um, so, yeah, I mean... I, I just, I guess the simple answer is it doesn't really affect me. I don't think I'm ever like tweaking out at the tournaments when it's like super close or like even watching my teammates, I think they would definitely describe me as like one of the more chiller people or calmer people. Um, but yeah, I, I would just say that I'm not really stressed by stressful situations. Well, what's the key to that? I feel like that for many people would possibly be like the secret to life, right? Yeah, I mean, like, at the end of the day, like, if I lose the bout, I'm not, it's not the end of the world for me. Um, obviously, I want to win. But I think just having that philosophy in life where, um, you know, there's always better days. Um, and that not everything is your world, obviously, it's super important. But I think if you carry that kind of pressure or expectations with you outside of the fencing match, or even after the match itself, um, that's where the stress comes from. Like thinking like, if I lose, like I'm going to be devastated. My team's going to be devastated. Like, I just think that's just not the case. Um, and yeah, I think that kind of helps me stay stress-free. With someone who's got the resume that you have, it would seem on the surface, like this sport defines you, but it almost sounds like maybe that's, that's not the case. Like what else is there when you look at yourself, if you were asked to define yourself? I mean, I think fencing is definitely a big part of my life, but I think the key to kind of enjoying the sport for such a long time is to have things outside of fencing. So, um, you know, I have a lot of friends outside of fencing. Um, you know, I enjoy school. I have my little hobbies. Um, and I think that fencing is something that kind of just enriches my life. It's not something crucial, I would say to my life. Um, so keeping that kind of a dynamic with the sport and my everyday life, um, I think is super important just to stay stress-free um, it's part of the reason why I didn't really take a gap year. Cause I think it's bad when like fencing just consumes your life. Um, I personally think I do the best when I'm like, my mind is away from fencing. So sometimes that might mean like not training for a, a few days before the tournament or just like completely just dissing myself from the sport. Um, like going into the tournament, like I'll just, let's say like I'm going to a world cup in Paris, I might just not go to the venue ever, or I'll just like sightsee a bit. Um, so I'm coming in fresh to the tournament. And so it's not like the stress I carry with me all the time. That's amazing perspective. I know you're old, but you're also not like super old. Has that, that's been the perspective you've, you've always had? Has anyone worked on it with you? Did it come from anywhere, a role model or an example that was set for you? Well, not really, I would say. I mean, fencing has been super important. Like, I think when I was younger, I saw fencing as a way to like open doors for me in terms of opportunities. Um, you know, like going to a, a great college, I think it helps to be world champion. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't know, fencing's just always been this like thing that I did, you know, outside of school, but I wouldn't say it was my life. I mean, it, it is kind of my life. Like I spent a lot of my time doing it, but that's just not the way I see it. Did Lauren find fencing or did fencing find her? Her entry into the sport has a lot to do with her brother, Nolan, who fenced at Columbia and also the force. Yes, we're talking about that force. 
My older brother is like a big nerd. He really likes Star Wars. Um, so when he was saw the movie, he was like, I want to try fencing. And I'm like, we had like a five, six year gap. So when he started doing it, by the time I was in like second grade or so, that's when I could really get into the sport. And since it was just easier to have us both doing the same activity for my mom, that's just kind of how I got into the sport. Um, but I think I've always been pretty athletic as a person. So um, I guess the sport just kind of clicked with me, kind of the feeling of like moving and just like kind of taps into your fight or flight. So I, it, got, it just kind of fit with me. Like, did you guys, when you were younger, did you pretend to be characters in Star Wars while you were like going around the house or anything like that? Uh, no, but I think uh, I really found myself liking kind of the evil characters, like really liked uh, Darth Vader, um, the Sith. I don't know. I think I just like ev- like villains a lot. So yeah, I would say I'm a big red lightsaber person. Take us inside Foil. And what is it about that that you think plays to your strengths? I think I'm a pretty calm person. And I think compared to the other weapons, like Saber, I think you got to be a little hot-headed. Um, and then Epe is like, I think I personally think Epe is a little odd. It's like you got to get hit, but um, you got to hit the other person, but you don't get hit. It, it's just not really my thing. So four, I think, is a good mix where you can be super aggressive, but you also, I think, to be, to, you know, do well, you have to be a little calm. You can't just like run at the person. Um, So I think that kind of is why foil fits with me. Um, It's a little bit of both. With your brother, was it a competitive thing that you and he had going on? Did he kind of put an arm around you and say, hey, this is something that really means a lot to me. You might want to try it too. Um, At the start, no. I think my mom just just put us both in fencing. So it was easier for her to pick us up. Um, And I think... I was always a little competitive with my brother, less so him being competitive with me. I think just being the younger sibling, I was like, I'm going to be better at this than you. Um, that was kind of the mentality I, I brought. But I, given that, you know, he's a guy and I'm a girl, we don't really compete in the same events. Um, but definitely when I was younger, I, I think my mom would say, like, tell me stories of how, like, I'd be in the stroller at the fencing tournaments watching my brother. being like, you suck. Like, I'm going to be so much better when I do this. And then, um, you know. I, when I started doing, it, I think I ended up being a little better than him. Um, not that I, my brother was great at fencing, not going to lie. Um, he had a great career, but yeah, I think it was a, I'm I not like I was just gunning to be better than him, but I think it was just the spirit of me when I was younger it was just, I just want to do everything better than my brother. How has your relationship evolved through the sport? Oh, it's great. It's great. I mean, he's like, I, I think he really liked fencing. Um, I mean, he went to Columbia. I think he got second at NCAAs. Um, so, you know, there's a part where I performed a little bit better than him. Um, but yeah, he's, I mean, he's just like me. I'd say he's pretty calm. Um, but yeah, we have a pretty good relationship. When you take a look at the demographic dynamics in fencing, the odds are stacked against Lauren and Nolan. They're black. According to a recent study, Only 13% of Americans who fence identify as people of color. Lauren's mom's side of the family is from Jamaica. They emigrated to the United States. She grew up in Queens. We talked about what it was like for her to access a sport where she doesn't see a lot of people who look like her. Yeah, so I wouldn't say it was easy. Um, Luckily, my mom found this really local club in Brooklyn called uh, Brooklyn Fencing. 
Um, and so that was kind of the place where you found it. Um, but I would say that growing up, you know, there's definitely weren't people who looked like me or my brother at the fencing tournaments. Um, so I think something that my mom would tell us is like, you know, it's like us against the world, basically. Um, and so I think we carried that mentality a lot going into the tournaments. Like if you talk to, you know, some of my fencing friends from when I was like younger, um, I'm a lot more chill now, but I think back then and like at the tournaments, I, like, I was zoned in on what I was doing. Like, I didn't want to talk to anyone. I didn't really want to like socialize like that just like wasn't me, which is kind of crazy for like a little kid, like a 10 year old kid. Um, I'm not like that now, but I think that was that like kind of message um, really allowed us to thrive from a young age in the sport because I think we just took it a lot more serious than some of our you know competitors. That us against the world mindset you spoke about that your mom kind of drove home as a message to you and your brother. What connection do you know as she shared that with you that she has to that mindset, that outlook? Not sure. Um, I guess just like, I don't know. I mean, my grandma immigrated here. So, I mean, it's. I think that mindset has always, I guess, been in the family of just like pushing it, push it, um, you know, work hard um, and you'll find success. Um, so, yeah, I guess that was kind of where it came from. I mean, it was kind of like similar space where it was like, we're kind of foreign to this environment, but, you know, you need to succeed. So I guess that's probably where the, the message came from. What's your perspective on why there is such a gap? Is it just programs aren't available in the right places, cost? What do you think some of the key factors are that need to be worked out? Yeah, I mean, I think the main one was cost. It's a super expensive sport. Um, I think it's part of the reason why my brother did fencing is because my mom bought the equipment and it was like super expensive. And so when he was like, I want to quit, he was like, no, because <laughs> you already invested a lot into the sport. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just hard to get into the sport just off the bat because of the price. Um, and also, I think it's like a sport where you can't just you can't just go to a park and fence like you have to go to a fencing gym. Um, you have like the strips, the reels. Um, so you have to often pay like a fee to the club or, you know, a price just to use the equipment. So I think price is definitely the, a bear, a big barrier. And then I just, I think just like seeing people who fence, who look like you is a big thing. Um, you know, let's say you're a black girl, you're not going to really want to do fencing. If you've never seen a black girl fence versus like maybe tennis, you've seen Serena Williams play tennis or basketball or soccer. Um, so honestly, I'd say price and just representation are the two main barriers to kind of entry. So if so, those are some of the causes, what then do you think could help narrow the gap moving forward and, and help make the images, the access to equipment improve? Yeah. I mean, I think just making the equipment uh, cheaper would be a big one. Uh, maybe if there's like programs to buy used equipment, that might be helpful. And then also, like, if clubs would lower their fees, um, obviously, you know, paying rent, at least in New, York, uh, New York, is pretty hard to do. So, you know, it's understandable why they're so expensive, given the cost of running a fencing club. But if they could have, you know, free trial programs for kids during the summer, that'd be great. Um, but yeah, the nonprofit I'm part of, Peter Westbrook, does a good job of this. So um, they provide all the equipment. Um it's basically, it's free for any kid who gets in the program. And then also um, a friend of Zynga runs a program called Peast, 
Um, it's basically under the same format as Peter Westbrook. I mean, she came from the Peter Westbrook Foundation, um, and she has a program to kind of introduce fencing to marginalized communities. So having more programs like that would definitely help. Um, I Currently, I think the programs that I know are mainly in New York, um, which is not going to capture, you know, most of the United States. So if you had programs like that in like Texas or in California or Ohio or something, um, that would definitely help um, bring up access to the sport. Is there something that you get from fencing that you feel based on your experience just can't be captured by any other sport? Uh, yeah. I mean, the fact that fencing is like, like the other person's trying to hit you, I think is a big part of the reason why I like it. Um, I think it just, there's just something so like human or like human nature about it, where it's like, you're literally trying to like protect yourself from getting hit and you get to hit the other person. Um, not that I'm like a violent person. I don't think I like boxing or kickboxing, but like something about that, it's, it's very like personal, um, is what I really like about fencing where it's just like, you hit them and it's like, yeah, I hit you. Um, I really like about it versus like, I've played basketball before. Um, I dabbled in tennis a little bit and I just didn't have that same kind of feeling of like, yeah, I did that to you versus like, you know, fencing. It's like, yeah, you got hit by me, which I, I really like. Coming up the first weekend in March, NCAA Regionals. The national championships are two weeks after that, and Lauren's got a title to defend. Her main focus right now, college. But you also can't ignore that five-ringed elephant in the room. That's the Olympics, coming up later this summer in Paris. Lauren's been part of the U.S. national program for years, but she's never been an Olympian. It's on my mind. I'm trying not to think about it. Um, cause I think that's the best way to go about it. Just like keep doing what I'm doing at the tournaments. Um, but yeah, definitely on my mind, but I'm also trying to not think about it so much when I go to the tournaments. How does the, obviously the work that you're putting in for the season that's in front of you with Harvard overlap work in concert with whatever might be required to get ready to make a bid for the Olympics? Yeah, I mean, the Harvard fencing program is really great. Um, Daria, she's had experience, you know, qualifying for the Olympics herself. Um, Daria is our coach. So she's been really helpful in just kind of preparing us for that because I'm not the only one on the team trying to qualify. Um, our, on Epe, we have Jonas Hansen, and then we have Jess, Jessica Guo, who's already been to the Olympics. So she's been super supportive in just like crafting a training regimen that's going to be really helpful. So um, for example, like we're fencing a lot more versus like weightlifting, just because I think for fencers, it's really important just to fence more than uh, weightlifting, just the nature of the sport and like what's required of us. Um, she's also really accommodating in terms of just traveling and um, making sure that um, let's say we have issues with professors because we're missing class. She's always like just CC me on the email if you have issues with that. So she's been great. Um, and I think it's been really helpful in just ensuring that I'm entering this Olympic season in like my best shape and ready for what's going on. Is the Olympics a goal? What would that mean for you to get that opportunity? Yeah, I mean, it would be super cool. Um, I think any fencer who's, you know, traveling to World Cups and fencing on the senior level, the, you know, the Olympics is the goal. Um, and then I think just to qualify for Team USA would really be a testament to like, everything I put in, my mom put in, my family put in, um, 
over the years, maybe like I've been friends for like 12 years or so. So it would just be like a really great opportunity and just like a testament to like all the work I've put in over the years. Even with fencing being such a prevalent thing in your life, there is balance. How is being at Harvard, being a student in the student part of student athlete, what type of balance has that brought you? What do you enjoy the most about it? Yeah. So I think for the first time uh, in my life, I was able to like really enjoy, enjoy school. Um, I think I talked about that in my like interview um, with admissions, how I'm, I just really want to enjoy school for the first time. Um, Just because during high school, like obviously you're trying to get the best grades you can. Uh, You might not explore those like silly fun classes. Um, Also, I was traveling a lot with fencing. So I think I really just enjoyed being at Harvard and just like learning. We obviously have you know, some of the best uh, professors in the world. Um, some of the, I've taken some super cool classes. Um, so yeah, I think just being at Harvard has really, I guess, added a, another way in which I can kind of separate myself from fencing um, in a in a productive way. So yeah, I've had a really good time just like learning at Harvard. I'm concentrating in philosophy. So doing a lot of thinking every day. Um, and reading and like learning about all these crazy people from the past. Um, so yeah, it's been great. Seriously, I have got to get me some Lauren Scruggs outlook and chi in my own life. Just such a refreshing way to hear someone view the world. Alrighty, time now to go around the rest of the Ivy League. If only there were a sound effect for the red alert emoji because man did we have our first injection of drama into the men's side of the ivy league race this past weekend it is a massive win for the big red they get to four and zero in the ivy league and hand princeton their second loss of the season yes it was the cornell big red not just beating princeton but doing so handily 83 to 68 at newman arena last saturday in a matchup of what at that point in time were conference perfects. Cornell with a wild 30-5 run to state control the game in the first half, and that was pretty much it. Cornell shot 58%, held Princeton to 32%. Nazir Williams went for 20 points. Head coach Brian Earl, after a nice crowd showed up at Newman, talking about the dub. It's a win, and but, but this league is just a grind, you know, and so you need wins. And, and to be honest, last year we started off five and two and, and you're looking at we have three home games so far and so there it, it's probably going to turn and on and no, nothing that you think is going to happen actually will happen and and uh you know so we just got to take it one game at a time we, i think we ha- might have dartmouth next and we got to lock into them and and no no uh game is easy in this league so cornell improves to forno in the ivy league they start a three-game road trip at dartmouth this friday they're tied at the top of the standings with Yale. The Bulldogs now, they are on a roll of their own. They surged to a sixth straight win last Saturday at Harvard. Princeton with a loss at Cornell drops to 3-1. and one. That's the top part of the Ivy League standings. And then after that, it is just a wide open battle at the moment for who might jump up and raise their hand to go after that fourth spot for Ivy Madness in the middle of March. All at one and three right now are Columbia, Harvard, Penn, Dartmouth, and Brown. Five teams vying for one spot, assuming that the three at the top, Cornell, Princeton, and Yale, continue to do their thing. 
Looks like we've got a fantastic race taking shape on the women's side for Ivy Hoops. You've got Tigers, you've got Lions, and yes, Bears too, plus a splash of Crimson. Bears trying to hold on. Four-point game. Minikazi hoists it up. Won't go. Rebound to Arnely. And that'll do it. The Bears hold on for the victory. 35-31. And no, that is not a typo. Brown improves to 13-5 overall on the season. 4-1 in Ivy League play. That keeps them- Yeah, how about that? The Brown Bears right in the thick of things. So heading into the 2024 season, there certainly wasn't much doubt that Princeton and Columbia would be right at the top of the standings vying for a championship. Princeton showing no signs of slowing down. They rolled Cornell by 38 on Saturday. It was their 10th win in a row. They are unbeaten at 5-0 in the league. Columbia bounced back after losing to Princeton the week before with a very nice emphatic win of its own, 85-55 over Penn at the Palestra. The Lions keeping pace at 4-1. The Harvard Crimson also 4-1. And they're another team that going back to the fall probably wouldn't have been shocked if you were told that they'd be right there going for one of the top spots in the Ivy League. But going back to Brown, you know, they are winners of 11 of their last 13 games, and they're part of this 4-1 three-way tie for second place in the Ivy League after a 2-3 start to the season. The Bears were picked to finish sixth in the Ivy League preseason poll, but they've been a terrific surprise so far. The score from the game against Dartmouth last Saturday... 35 to 31, grinding out that victory with their defense, one of their better rebounding efforts of the year. Through three weeks of Ivy League play, get this Brown already matching its entire conference win total from all of last year. Moving on to a court of a different color, Ivy League tennis. It's that time of year, the men and women combining for eight wins over power conference programs from the likes of the ACC, Big East, Big Ten, and Pac 12. Within the last week, Columbia and Harvard men both ranked inside the top 25 nationally and qualified for the ITA Division I Men's National Indoor Championships, Harvard with a couple of noteworthy wins over UCLA and Northwestern. On the mat, Ivy Wrestling, once again in the national spotlight. The clock expired before the takedown, but 4 nothing win. One of the biggest wins of his college career. He upsets number three, and Cornell has secured the dual meet win. Jacob Cardenas getting it done for Cornell. Big time victory over then number three from Mizzou All-American Rocky Elam. One of the highlights from a very nice victory for the Cornell Big Red 20-16 over then number two Mizzou. The Big Red very deservingly named the NCAA Wrestling Team of the Week. Cornell and Penn both in the team top 25 throughout the season. And remember, the Ivy League boasted three national champions individually last year, and there are currently a bunch of Ivies ranking in the top 25 individually this year as well. And before we go, just an observation. Green and Las Vegas, when things are going right, they just go together. And there certainly is going to be a nice representation of green in Las Vegas in just a couple days. That's because the Kansas City Chiefs and San Francisco 49ers are both sending Ivy Leaguers, former Ivy League football players, 
to the Super Bowl from the Kansas City Chiefs. You got Justin Watson from Penn going back. He's already won two Super Bowl rings. And also on the Chiefs from Harvard, a 2023 graduate, Truman Jones. Kyle Juszczyk from the San Francisco 49ers, appearing in his second Super Bowl. He and the Niners lost the Chiefs in 2017. So maybe this time it's Kyle's opportunity to get one back. Ivy Insights is a production of the Ivy League. Our executive producer and master of information, the Ivy League's associate executive director of strategic communications and external relations, Matt Panto. Special thanks to Rachel Schmerich, JJ Klein, and Zach Sterrett from the Ivy League office, and of course to Lauren Scruggs. Be sure to stay on top of all things happening in the Ivy League with the Ivy Insights newsletter. Just go to ivyleague.com to sign up for free. And especially because this is still a relatively new podcast, please do consider following us or subscribing. Leave a rating. It helps a lot. We really appreciate it. I'm Brian Seltzer. Next episode due out in two weeks. We'll talk to you then.